102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Given the amount of cyberbullying and harassment that takes place on the internet, in particular against female journalists and writers, is there a way to stop the abuse? A global survey by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization and the International Center for Journalists have found that three out of four female journalists surveyed have experienced online violence. What can be done to protect them? Today, I'm talking with Michelle Ferrier, founder of Trollbusters.com. She is taking the problem head on and helping female journalists, bloggers, and writers address ongoing harassment and threats. Okay, thank you for joining me on Spark today, Michelle. Great to be here, Kelly. Can you first share your story as to what led you to create Trollbusters.com? So I was a journalist in Florida back in the early 2000s. I worked at a newspaper here in Florida. Became columnist, the first columnist of color, a black columnist at the newspaper. Throughout my tenure as a columnist, face was on the newspaper and distributed in the community. Throughout my time as a columnist, I received racist hate mail, sometimes through the mail, sometimes through email, but um, I received very violent, racist hate mail. I went to the police. I went to management. I went to a bunch of agencies to try and get some support and some aid and uh, really um, was unable to get the, the kind of support that I felt I needed. Ultimately, I started a project called Spot Hate, which was designed to map and track the rise of domestic terrorism here in the United States and that hate rhetoric that was coming up at the time in um, our news, in our politics, etc. Use that tool to be able to uh, begin to try and track for myself who the perpetrators might be who were sending me mail was hateful. And so um, that was really the beginnings of Trollbusters, what became Trollbusters in 2015. And uh, Trollbusters in 2015 went into an evolution where we um, became a service organization, really helping to coach other journalists who were experiencing online attacks, online harassment, uh, reputation damage, etc., in how to navigate law enforcement, the law management, and their work as journalists online. And so Trollbusters was born at that time to really help provide the support to journalists that I didn't see coming from the legal system. It sounded like you were afraid for your safety or your families at the time. Oh, God. The letters, I so I received a series of letters from one particular person, which is how this escalated from kind of one-off uh, hate mail that I would receive to a campaign of hate that was directed at me because I was the black columnist 
and that hate came to me regularly at the newspaper. I went to management, I went to HR, and I began to, after the second or third letter, I began to take them to the police. Here I received, let's say about eight letters or so. Um, I received almost a dozen letters from one particular letter writer, and they became increasingly violent, talking about a race war against African Americans, a race war against black people in the United States, and that they were coming for me and my family. I feared for my own life. I feared for my children and my family, and um, I feared for myself in doing the work as a journalist that I was called to do. A lot of the work I was doing at that time as a columnist was also building online communities in our, at our newspaper and helping to bring our readers into digital spaces and in conversation with journalists and newspapers. And I was out in the community a lot talking to people about about this online community, curtailed a lot of that travel and a lot of my exposure in the public after these threats and um, increasingly curtailed a lot of the work that I did as a journalist because of the, the, the violent threats that I received. Why was the law enforcement unable to protect you? This is a combination of things that really happen when uh, somebody comes under attack. I received, as I said, hate mail and threats coming to me in the mail suggesting that somebody was going to come kill me, that they were going to lynch me and or other black people and other kinds of violence like that. But um, unfortunately, the laws in the United States and cyberstalking, hate mail, threats, um, hate speech is uh, protected in a lot of ways, both online as well as in physical space because of the First Amendment and because of some of the cyberstalking laws that just are not sufficient to be able to to provide any protection. So when I took these letters to the police, they were anonymous letters that would require investigative resources, detectives to do the forensics work, to do the digital forensics work, fingerprinting, etc. And unfortunately, Kelly, the, one of the first detectives told me was, well, we really aren't going to investigate this until something actually happens to you. And so law enforcement doesn't see words and mail threats or digital threats as actual threats. And that was part of the problem that law enforcement themselves, they're going to investigate a crime. As far as these letters, no crime had actually occurred, even though they had been sent through the postal system, etc. I think um, there's problems with the laws themselves being written too loosely to be able to protect people from the kind of anonymous, coordinated types of attacks that we've seen. And I think that law enforcement is woefully inadequate in its training to understand not only uh, the ways in which these types of attacks manifest and have impact on the work of journalists, um, but also have long-term ripple effects on the ability of journalists to be able to do their work ongoingly into the future. Well, what I find interesting is that you became an activist from your experience 
and you took this problem head on and you said, I'm going to solve this for myself and for others. How were you able to do it? (laughs) Kelly, that's an interesting question. So part of my background is not only as a journalist, but as a technologist. So part of my early work and research is in and around technology and actually digital digital platforms. And so I was very much already immersed in looking at the internet, looking at the World Wide Web and building community and identity in, t- in digital spaces. And so when I became um, a columnist at the newspaper and had a different voice and platform for a conversation and built that with our readers, um, I had a really different perspective on how the technologies were becoming weaponized with walled garden communities, with uh, anonymity and the ways in which identity is shaped on the web, access issues and the ways in which broadband was being deployed across the country. There were so many Uh, ways inside the technology at the code content and conduit levels, as uh, Lawrence Lessig would say, all of those levels that were impacting people um, with the new digital technologies that were coming out. And so I, I guess you could say they picked the wrong person to pick on because I was already engaged in looking at the technologies in a way that we could amplify the voices of underserved and underrepresented communities and looking at the ways in which algorithms, access, and content were driving some people and their voices uh, from the web and from these new spaces where uh, they were hoping to be able to find other people. That that background really drove me to developing this work, as I said, first through the research work around spot hate and tracking and monitoring the rise of um, hate speech and hate activity across the United States, and then morphing into uh, what became Trollbusters in 2015 because of Gamergate and because of the attacks uh, that were um, ramping up against journalists at that time as President Obama first was coming into office and then um, as um, he left office and we were engaging in a different political environment. As a female journalist, I'm being attacked. Uh, it's a coordinated campaign and they want to either damage my reputation or make me so afraid that I'm going to stop my reporting. What do I do? Do I go on to your site and report where this is happening? How, how does one then reach out and to seek some kind of protection or to deflect this type of reaction that's happening? I have a little history um, with various tactics, both physical tactics, legal tactics, um, working with law enforcement, working with litigators around impact legislation uh, or impact litigation, also looking at at platforms themselves and technological policies and um, protections um, that are afforded to them and the ways in which platforms are built. And so part of of what Trollbusters has been able to do really 
is uh, be the canary in the coal mine and really scout this landscape in a way that through the research, et cetera, we've been able to not only identify the rise of this kind of attack against um, against everyone, but particularly journalists and other thought leaders um, and scholars. Um, and there's a particular tactic. Um, we've also been able to document and, and look at pathways for redress from those harms. And so we've helped people understand what are those pathways? What can you do now before you step into those digital spaces to be able to protect your identity or your reputation? What can you do in physical space? What can you do in digital spaces to be able to uh, wipe your digital footprint so that you can't be found in, in physical space or you make it more difficult for people to do that. So one of the things that we do when people report to us is um, not only provide them with kind of the technical navigating through systems, their own employers, the legal system, law enforcement, um, platform response, um, but also helping them understand the motivations behind the attacks, how uh, those uh, attacks manifest, and how they might be able to, through counter-narratives and other kinds of positive offensive measures, be able to uh, regain their reputation, regain their footing, and continue to do the reporting work that they're doing as journalists. It sounds like it's better if before they start that they have everything set up as journalists or writer. Uh, that they have everything set up so that they're in a position where they're, uh, they're more aware once they get into that space rather than trying to counter the, the, you know, these campaigns or the attacks and so on, right? But then the question I have then is, I think there are a lot of women who are just experiencing it, even if they're not journalists or professional writers, they're experiencing it just as bloggers or just even on their own social media platforms, what how, what should they do? Sure. So, um, so I have, uh, unfortunately, um, journalists are not the only uh, attack targets. We see a lot of different kinds of operatives from domestic terrorism to white supremacist groups to incels and other misogynistic-based activity um, happening on the internet. And so uh, we do see a, a, a trajectory of violence targeting women, gendered violence, attacking women specifically. Um, some of the tactics um, uh, and why women are used as targets, and particularly women who are um, in the public eye, are communicators, are influencers, scholars, those that are thought leaders, uh, knowledge producers. Goal is, and the tactic is to create confusion, to sow informa misinformation and disinformation, to discredit authentic, valid voices, and to confuse the electorate, the populace, and other users online so that people remain paralyzed and uh, folks can continue to terrorize people through these kinds of um, digital 
terrorist acts that they do online. Um, one of the things that I have cautioned, um, I caution my students, I caution everyone that the digital environment right now is a very different environment than your mom grew up in or even your grandma grew up in for sure. And um, the kinds of ways in which people can use digital tools, whether it is not only databases, but uh, visual tools, cameras, search engines, and other different types of information and put that together in a way that people can fairly easily find you in physical space. And so I think you mentioned, you know, really people getting into the headspace of recognizing that um, everyone is vulnerable. And from that posture, recognizing in what ways am I vulnerable? What do I have to lose? My reputation, my children, my family, my home, my life. What are the things that are vulnerable? What do I have to lose? unwilling to lose and what am I willing to do to protect those things that I'm unwilling to lose? And some of those questions are very hard questions that ask people to think deep and hard about what they value, how they put out their energy into the world, how they want their work to be seen, and um, helps. And if they can think about really looking at their own lives in a way and uh, putting in place those protections, whether it is security at their home or thinking about their own self-protection, whether it's martial arts or concealed carry or other different types of physical protection. They learn new ways of communicating and using their identity in different ways online to be able to protect themselves. And I, and the thing I say to my journalism students, especially my female students, is to think about the ways in which they create their their professional identity online. Before they even get online, think about the ways in which your name is used and whether you want to use your official documented name that um, can be, in the United States at least, drawn directly to your voting records and property records that can identify your physical location. Oh, interesting. Um, so you're saying that perhaps you want to use an alias. Yes, I, I, oh, yeah, an alias, your middle name, initials. Um, violence against journalists is not new, and particularly violence against journalists of color. We look at Ida B. Wells, if we look at Frederick Douglass, if we look at people who um, owned black presses, um, their presses were bombed. Their presses were set on fire. They were run out of uh, their their organizations and um, literally and put in exile. Okay. And I, I think we need to understand that some of the elements that are are uh, purporting to do this type of activity online and this harassment, their goal is to silence your voice by whatever means necessary, getting you off the internet through fear and intimidation and silencing you by uh, intimidating you and keeping you um, from being on the web and public. Okay. So, from, from a practical standpoint though, let's say uh, there's a, there's a young blogger, now we have blockers who are getting younger and younger, even high schoolers, right? They get on. The smart thing for them to do is perhaps use the alias as you recommended. And then the trouble, of course, is the fact that 
white page is now online, so anybody can find your dress. So what you're saying is that perhaps the one that's really going to identify where you live is your voting record. So that that dress on the voting record will show everybody where you live, and you may want to have second thoughts, let's say, change it to a P.O. box and, or a professional dress, let's say. Some of those tools, you're, you are not allowed by law to use a P.O. box in some of those settings. And some of the things that I've been looking at are ways in which, like law enforcement, like uh, attorneys and other uh, social public figures that journalists also may get protections and have their property records and voting addresses redacted so that they cannot be traced through those routes. But unfortunately, those are fairly public records and available not only to journalists, but to anyone to be able to access, as well as a bunch of other third-party kinds of aggregators that also collect a bunch of information about people. And so, Kelly, that's one of the reasons why we really focused on um, not only the the defensive posture, right, the digital protection and security types of things uh, for journalists, but also those resilience types of strategies, thinking about and being proactive about your risks and then um, planning for and developing the tactics to be able to respond to them and put those barriers in place to make it difficult for people to be able to come for you or yours. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting way to approach this. But what about reputation damage, since that's complicated as well, right? Right. I, I, one of the things that, that we've looked at, and um, through Trollbusters, we recently, I'd say recently, a year ago, started a Toxic Avenger magazine, which is a monthly magazine that focuses specifically on these types of strategies because it is a lifestyle and it is a mindset of thinking about yourself as both a public figure because everyone in a digital age right now is a public public figure. figure. And making sure that you understand that there are certain vulnerabilities that come with giving your profile and your identity over to social media platforms and other tools for for using your life. Um, everything from banking to, you know, your digital records are digitized in a way that um, are make, making it very problematic for people. So we just try and help people understand that, um, protect themselves, how to do that before you really step out into the public eye. Um, we're seeing attacks against students, journalists, um, happening now. So you're right. This is being pushed further and further down into our young audiences, including our high school and middle school students. And we're seeing coordinated attacks against young teens because of their TikTok or their Instagram posts and things like that. And Unfortunately, there is a tactic, you know, basically death by tweet, suicide by tweet, where the goal is to destroy the reputation of somebody so much so in the digital eye that they commit suicide because they have been shamed so much in the public eye. 
And so um, suicide um, is a, a real long-term consequence of this kind of harm. And one of the things that we try and do is help people understand the dynamics and the psychology of what's happening both before, during, and after an attack and to help build their resilience so that they can come back stronger. That's such a great point, especially since social media is dominating the lives of youths and also professionals in that your credibility or authority is now tied to those platforms. Like if you're not on Twitter or if you're not on Instagram, it's like, who are you, right? Your identity is now defined by those platforms. If exactly. you're, and, and especially for young people, it's like, do you have friends? Do you have a social presence? So given that, what are you finding uh, in terms of what people really need to be thinking about when they're on these social media platforms? Well, <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, my children have had to grow up with this kind of sensibility um, because we they were under attack and our family was under attack when they were very young children. I mean, they had they had cell phones when they were like five and six years old, the ones that you push one button that says, call mom, call dad, call the police, because I wanted to make sure they understood and and knew that they had uh, someone they could call for protection. But I also coached them uh, throughout their lives about being online and understanding what they're putting out online, taking selfies and understanding sometimes it's not about the selfie, but what might be in the background. Um, I remember one time my daughter took a picture of herself in the kitchen and there happened to be an envelope for utility on the refrigerator that if somebody wanted to, they could have zoomed in and taken a look and probably seen an address. But it's, and I caught, when I saw the picture online, I told her to take it down and explain to her about thinking about what she puts online and thinking about all of the context of what she's putting online. And um, that, that is really what we try and do through Trailbusters as well. We have a generation zeitgeist curriculum that we developed for young teens. And it really is to help them understand that pathway from user to creator to help them understand that how the internet works at its core because they don't <laughs> but, you know they'll push an app on their phone and they'll, they make a video but understanding literally you know how the internet works and functions and how these third-party aggregators work to create a, a digital identity of you and how that digital identity is used by marketing companies and used by social media companies and used by bad actors to be able to find you and groom you for um, different kinds of things. And so um, we've tried through that curriculum to really help educate people to the environment that we're all swimming in right now and to help them build their resilience and build their profiles in a way that they can stay safe online and off. That is so important. So for listeners who are interested in finding out more, should they go to troll-busters.com? Troll-busters.com, your SOS team on Twitter, on the Instagram Twitter, Facebook, in those social channels watching. And so we do a lot of monitoring work to see what's going on in the environment. And sometimes we jump in and, 
and and has some things to say to people um, if they're not behaving nicely. But our goal is to support those people who are under attack or feel like they may be under attack and also to help armor uh, people before they venture into these spaces so that they can be confident in their voice, that they can amplify the work that they're doing, and that they can continue to be powerful in doing the journalism work that they do. So important. Last question. What about for parents with teens? Would they be able to easily find a program that you have mentioned? Yes. They go to troll-busters.com. It's that Generation Zeitgeist program that was a collaboration with the Rural Digital Youth Resilience Project. And we developed this curriculum. It's a set of 12 wall posters that we're hoping to get into every school in the United States that are wall posters with lessons um, drawn in graphic uh, cartoon style that helps teens understand how the internet works, how their data is used, how what is an influencer and what do the metrics mean, how can you recover from the kinds of bullying and uh, cyber harassment that might be coming at you, what are some of the problems that have happened to young people because of things that they've done online inadvertently and unfortunately that have had consequences in terms of them being jailed, uh, arrested and jailed um, for what they perceived as a joke, um, but the government perceived as a real threat. So um, we try through that curriculum to really help educate teens in a, a very light and informative way, but to empower them to be creators and to uh, be powerful online. Thank you for sharing your experience and your expertise, Michelle, and thank you for joining me on Spark today. Thank you so much, Callie. I'm so glad to be here and um, so glad we could be of help.